Welcome to Patsy Talks. My name is Patsy, with a Z. These podcasts include interviews from my syndicated radio program, Joy on Paper, a program for writers and those who dream of writing, as well as new content focused on helping you promote your books if you are a writer, or for you readers to inspire you to write the book that is inside you, or to find new authors whose books will enrich your life. I don't know the ins and outs of the Pulitzer Prize nominations, but in case they're listening to Joy on Paper, I would nominate Jerome Preissler's Civil War Commando, William Cushing, and the daring raid to St. the Ironclad, CSS Albemarle. I read hundreds of books every year, and sometimes I get sad to know that many of them, books that are really good, just don't have shelf life. Sometimes it's because a book will become dated The authors have depended too much on current events that won't interest people five years from now, let alone 50 or 100. They will be hanging out there in the ether, or Amazon's cloud, for hundreds of years, and no one will read them. That's why when I get a book that will be for the ages, I get thrilled. I get the same thrill that Mr. Smith of Smith & Elder's Publishing House felt upon reading Jane Eyre for the first time. He must have known, wow, he had a book that people would want to read for the ages. Civil War Commando is one of those books. From the very first page of the book, I was caught up with the story of Will Cushing, an American hero who has been largely forgotten, thanks to the brilliant research of Jerome Preissler. Will Cushing comes to life on the pages of this book. Commando is written with all the talent Jerome Preissler displays in his modern-day thrillers, especially the ones inspired by Tom Clancy. But this is a special book. Preissler writes a rip-roaring yarn that is entertaining and enlightening. Enjoy my interview with him. Hi, this is Patsy with the Z. Welcome to Joy on Paper, a program for writers and those who dream of writing. Oh, wow, this is a very special day. Jerome Preissler is a best-selling author of almost 40 books, and he's been on the program uh, several times uh, ever since I met him at BoucherCon in Dallas. And, of course, we have been speaking about his wonderful books in the NetForce series created by Tom Clancy and Steve Pachnik. The last uh, two books that we talked about were Dark Web and Attack Protocol, all wonderful New York Times best-selling books. But today, I am so thrilled to have him back to talk about a book that we discussed a few weeks ago called Civil War Commando, William Cushing and the Daring Raid to Sink the Ironclad CSS Albemarle. This program is a very special day because when I get a book that is Pulitzer Prize worthy, it is really exciting. And so I am so happy to welcome Jerome back to the program. Hi, Jerome. Happy New Year, Patsy with a Z. Thank you. <laughs> okay, well, as I said, you know, you, you're the only author I've had on like three times in a row in, in quick succession because, as I told you last time we spoke, I found Civil War Commando to be such a inspiring book, such a thrilling book, uh, that I just wanted to give my listeners an opportunity to hear a little bit more about the process that you went through. It's always so exciting when you come across an idea. You know, for a for a novelist, they you finally come out with a character that you you want to run with. But in your case, you found a, a real life character. We have here in Saint Petersburg 
uh, the Admiral Farragut Military School. It's a wonderful school, and many of the astronauts have actually gone through that school. So I drive past it quite often, and now every time I see it, I think of Will Cushing and this wonderful man that you've discovered and that you're bringing back to life for so many people because he was largely forgotten. And, of course, that is David Farragut first admiral of the Navy, called Will the, the hero of the Civil War. So it's just an interesting little factoid. It is, and it's very exciting that you have written this book. It's so beautifully written. Of course, you have all this wonderful talent. I think I, I already crowned you the king of techno-thrillers. You yes, have this. You have. Uh, <laughs> I, I wear the crown yes. proudly. And you, you deserve it because you... <laughs> I can tell you, every time I get one of your books, it's an, uh, it's a wonderful, exciting read. But with this book, it's real. Even from the first page, I'm reading it and I'm saying, this is real. How lucky you were to come across somebody so fascinating. Yeah, you know, what you're saying is really on point because when I look for a subject to write about, a nonfiction subject, everything I write is generally character-driven, so I'm looking for an interesting personality. And, you know, it's, it's not always easy to find someone, especially when a character is uh, of some historical importance and he's a colorful character, uh, one would expect that he's been written about extensively or at least to some degree so that it makes it... Um, uh, you don't want to just, you know, cover territory somebody else's mind. And um, I found that with Will, I was fortunate that wasn't the case. The same qualities that make Will interesting to me are the very sorts of things that I try to build into a character when I'm writing a novel. So it's almost as if I was handed this gift of a character that I don't have to create, I don't have to build, if he's all there for me, um, he vividly comes to life. And, you know, one thing, Patsy, that I don't think we've discussed that I was, was running through my mind because I knew kind of what the um, focus of our conversation would be, and that's that when I started writing the book and was doing the research, there were two characters that I had in mind as kind of splitting the focus. One was Will, and one was a guy named Gilbert Elliott who built ironclad CSS album that ultimately will attack and destroy in, in the climax of the book. But I thought because they were of similar age, both very young men, 18, 19, 20 years old, um, both kind of laying everything on the line, I thought it would be an almost 50-50 um, where I was playing one character against the other, and I thought that was going to be the structure of the book. But Will just took it over. Um, he was so audacious, so gallant, so um, fearless, and just this kind of you know knight in shining armor-like character that he ran away with the book. So it was a bit unexpected for me. He certainly is a bigger-than-life character. It's so exciting the way you have written this book. As you said, you know, Elliot's important, but from page one, you become attached to this, this child at first and then the young man that he becomes. And all of this excitement that happens at such a young age, when you look around at sort of teenagers today and you say, what are they doing? <laughs> like... You can't, you, can't, you can't imagine that somebody yeah. as young as Will could do such amazing things and have such amazing character. And, and I, I think, um, and, and don't hold me to this, but I think obviously people grew up a lot faster in those days. So, you know, 19 or 20 uh, in, in 1860 or 1861 or two is a lot different than, than the same age, not just in, in, in 2020 or 2021, but even, you know, in, in growing up in, in the 50s, 60s, 70s. But I 
think even for someone that young uh, in the Civil War, um, I think that he was uh, was pretty exceptional. I just think that he was exceptional no matter what the age is, but I certainly think that even for um, a mature 19-year-old in the Civil War, um, Will was, you know, just a wild character. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. He he just is, is irresistible. And, and uh, once I learned a little bit about him, you know, the only question was, two questions were, had anyone written anything along the lines that I wanted to? Um, and the answer was no. And then it was, could I find a publisher? And obviously the answer to that was yes. Let's take a step back and let's start with Gilbert Elliott. Explain why this ship that he created, explain the importance of it and the damage that it was doing during the Civil War. Well, the, the backdrop to the whole thing is that um, as uh, America uh, entered the Civil War in uh, 1860-61, at the time, uh, both uh, what, would, what would become the Union Navy and the Confederate Navy were um, looking for ways to kind of change the face of naval warfare. And what they saw was the potential of ironclad ships. Prior to that time, um, naval combat had been conducted between wooden ships. That was the technology. And uh, probably a few years before that, in the 1840s or 1830s, France and, uh, and maybe uh, maybe England, but I, I think it was just France, actually, uh, began building ironclad warships. They were the first in Europe. And so the Secretary of the Confederate Navy, uh, a guy named Mallory, and um, the uh, Secretary of the, of the uh, Union Navy were both kind of in, an arm, in, a, in a technology race to see who could build the first ironclad. And again, if, if you can just, it, it's pretty easy to see what kind of damage they can do when the opposing force, their, their naval uh, fleets consisted of wooden ships, and here you had this gigantic Leviathan uh, um, 260, 265 feet long, uh, a crew of about 150. It was just armored from stem to stern in uh, iron plating, um, heavily armed, and it had, in, and, and the CSS Albemarle was, was called a ram um, because that's what it was. It had a huge uh, ram in front of it. It looked like a giant tusk, and that was its principal weapon. It would just plow right through opposing vessels. So with that, when uh, Elliot, who was the person who built the ship, uh, through a lot of uh, trials and hardships, um, and got it and got it done for the Confederacy. Uh, once they had that that ship at their disposal and um, had it sitting outside Plymouth Harbor uh, and and threatening the whole uh, water, the waterways around the Virginia's Carolinas, the Union needed to destroy it. They were powerless against it. Well, it was truly a monster, it, and it must have terrified the Union ships, as you said, made of wood, and they come up against something that is so formidable. You can't hit it. Whatever cannon they used would just bounce off of it. Uh, right off. So it, they, yeah. it was a frightening experience for the Union troops. Yeah, in, in fact, Will, of course, ends up uh, launching a commando raid against it um, after a number of months, and he's successful. But before that, the Union fleet that was sent against it was totally destroyed. And there was, there was a fleet of about five ships that were sent to, to destroy it just months earlier, and three of them were totaled. They were completely sunk. Uh, the crews were, many dozens of men were killed, including the, um, a guy named Commander Charles Swasser, who was the uh, commander of uh, the um, blockading squadron that was sent to destroy it. And Will Cushing's mentor. Uh, this guy was a, a seasoned old soul. He was a you know a, a, a longtime naval warrior, and it just destroyed him. Um, and in fact, when Will, in, in one little dramatic 
twist when Will goes to destroy it. It's literally sitting right behind the carcass of the ship that Plusser was on when when he when he fought it. It had sunk it, and it was it just went right down in the harbor, and it was being used kind of as a uh, as a barricade against um, against attack. So he, so it kind of gives you a sense of how devastating you know a, a, a vessel and a weapon um, the Albemarle was. Well, I love that at the end of the book you have a, a really massive bibliography of all the books and documents that you used for your research. Tell us a little bit about how you started your research and, and conducted it, because you you had to actually read original documents. As you said, this story wasn't widely published. We didn't know a lot about it before, and you certainly came out with a lot of information and a new angle on things because of the research. Yeah, uh, that's a great point. Ideally, you always try for that. At least I do. And you know, because it, obviously you don't want to rehash something that's been written and you want to have your own perspective. So the more what they call primary source material, which would be, you know, what you just alluded to, a combat records in this case, you know, because we're talking about a, a war story. So combat records, historical records, both sides, Confederate Union. Um, Will was a prolific letter writer and he was very colorful. So unfortunately, a lot of them have been preserved. Both he collected them uh, in his lifetime. So there were a number of of them that, that were available in a, in a little volume that he put together. And then there are others that are in private collections and others that were printed in newspapers. And then what I just looked at in this book, I had a lot of access to it, was both what I just mentioned, of course, the uh, post-battle reports that were that are prepared all the time by, you know, whatever service you're researching. So in this case, I had, if I was looking at a battle, since it was all of this is in our uh, national archives, I, I was able to get both the Confederate side of the battle uh, and the Union side of the battle, which is really fantastic. You know, that's not always the case. If you're writing about World War II, you might get, you'll get the, the U.S. World War II records or the, or, the, or the British, but a lot of the German records were destroyed, so you don't really have the reports. I had all of that. I had Will's, Will's um, letters. And then um, another thing that really became uh, a, a great resource for me was old contemporaneous newspapers. So I was able to, for example, if there was a battle, I could look at the military records, the naval records, and I wasn't quite sure about some that I read in them, I could actually look at the dates and then look up different newspapers from that period and see what the newspaper accounts was and kind of like, as we, as you do when you're writing history, put together the puzzle and see, well, okay, this you have to, sometimes it's a judgment call. This is inaccurate, this isn't. But you, you try to put together the most cohesive and coherent version of events. So, so newspapers were great. And another thing that was great about reading old newspapers, and I read a ton of them, again, both Southern and Northern newspapers, was I was able to really get irrespective of the story about Will, I was able to get a real feel for what people were going through in the time building up to and during the Civil War. Reading letters to the editor, reading editorials, and then even looking at stuff like advertisements. In the book, I have one section where I write about what's in the newspaper one day, and I actually throw in a bunch of really interesting and quaint advertisements that were in the newspaper, because I think it gives you a a color of the time and, and a feel for it. So all of that was first-hand stuff. And one last thing I would add, I don't want to go on on this, but there were war correspondents then as there are now. Uh, the difference was that they were unfortunately anonymous in those days. So say the New York uh, Herald or the New York Times uh, sent a, a correspondent aboard a, a ship that Will was commanding when it went into battle. These journalists from that period were really great writers. You know, they had really beautiful, colorful prose, and that really gave me uh, a sense of the actions I'm writing about 
and what everything looked like, and as well as kind of rubbing off on the style I used, which was a lot more formal than my usual style, and tried to kind of give it the flavor of something that might have been written sometime shortly after the Civil War. Well, you certainly did. That was one of the things that I found so interesting, that they had embeds. After the Gulf War, we started hearing about embeds, you know, those, right. those reporters yeah. who, were, who were put there. And, uh, of course, many of them made, made big names for themselves and got great book deals. But in those days, they had embeds. They had reporters who were there with him. And thanks to them that you were able to, I think, get such an exciting story and details that we didn't know about. I'm sure most people had no idea. You, you sort of think of Civil War ships fighting out there in the water somewhere. You never, ever think about them. Actually, the sailors would get off the ships and would actually go inland and do some fighting and do some reconnaissance inland. And that's what makes this book so exciting. Yeah, he would, uh, you know, when we talked about the book the first time, Will would do anything. He would lead a, a small party ashore against a whole uh, Confederate troop contingent to, to raid a town, uh, raid the post office, kidnap a general. <laughs> he had, there were, there were no bounds. I know, and, it's so uh, exciting. Yeah, and usually, he, you know, he would come aboard with two small boatfuls of men, so maybe there would be, you know, uh, 15 men a boat, so maybe it would be any, anywhere between 15 and 30 men um, against whoever he would encounter there. It's not like he had satellite recon. Yeah, you know, and, and in general, when I would talk about the book, when I was writing it or even after, people really don't think about the naval aspect of the Civil War that much, you know. You know, everybody knows about the Merrimack, and, and there's certain things that, that people remember, but I don't think a lot of people really, there has hasn't been that much focus on all of the naval action that took place during that. I can't think of anyone who would know that, yes, actually, there were captains who just say, okay, let's, yeah. let's get in there. Let's, let's, uh, let's tango, you know, let's get in there. And, and that's what makes this so exciting. And so when I, I read it and I, I'm thinking to myself, I, I read a lot of Pulitzer Prize winning books. You know, some of them are, are really fascinating. They're worthy, you know, because the author's done great great research or something, but very seldom does a book just grab you like this book. And so you've accomplished two things. You've done the research worthy of winning a Pulitzer Prize, and then you've done the research worthy of, of making this into a bestseller and, I hope, streaming video, because I think this would be more exciting even than John Adams, because this is so exciting. There's so many aspects of, of Will's life that just, I mean, it was made, it was made made for, for the screen. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, an, another thing about the book is that I really didn't know for sure how much of it in terms of, you know, would it be a third or a half or whatever would be devoted to the um, raid uh, on the um, CSS Albemarle, which is the subtitle. The daring, <laughs> the daring, the daring to sink the ironclad CSS Albemarle. Thank you. But Will's life, as you know, his whole youth, that um, it ends up that it really became, you know, Will's story, as, as, as I mentioned earlier. Of course, the Albemarle is the climax, and I build up to it, but it's, it's really Will's life. Yeah, you know, I think that it, because I, I obviously write a lot of thrillers over time, I've been able to really appall of the kinds of dramatic techniques that I do to fiction, to my nonfiction. And I think that having done a few, you'd hopefully you get a little bit better as you get older and you've, as you've done it more, you know, full of action full of drama, full of character, but really bring it alive. And you certainly have. And it's so funny when you look at it, it's like everything was just cinematically designed for you. 
<laughs> to run with this. He, he gets himself in trouble from the time he's like nine years old. and uh, I know. It's... You know, almost gets booted out of what, I don't know if they called it elementary school, but gets, gets booted out of grade school, gets into the Navy Academy, Naval uh, Academy at Annapolis, gets kicked out, gets a second chance, and um, is allowed to serve in the U.S. Navy, gets kicked out. Uh, <laughs> and, I mean, everything, uh, everything about it, yeah. as you said, because you are so talented as a thriller writer, you have put all of that sort of passion and action and everything into this book to make a, a truly exciting, exciting a nonfiction book into something that reads like a novel and that will film when Hollywood finally takes notice of you, will film beautifully and some young actor will be so thankful to you. He will thank you. He'll be a young guy and he'll be thankful to you for a hundred years <laughs> because this is a part that is made. It's an actor's dream to play a hero like this man. Will Cushing is just once once you read about him and once certainly once we see him on the big screen or streaming video as it is nowadays, he's going to have his rightful place in American history. And that's thanks to you. And I think that's that's what I don't know. the You know, I haven't looked at the ins and outs, how they do Pulitzer Prizes, but they really should look at that, that you've taken a character and people will be reading this book 100 years from now to understand the Civil War, 200 years from now. This is a book of the ages and that's what makes it so exciting yeah i i feel good about that um you know i don't want to sound um horny or, or or sugary about this but i feel very privileged that i can write books like this when i can bring into people's awareness the life of somebody like this you know before this the nonfiction book i did was a, a book called first to jump and that was about the, a, a certain group of men from the 101st airborne and 82nd airborne during world war ii and one of the most gratifying things of course that's more recent so i would get letters from grandchildren or the children of some of the men I'd written about telling me, wow, you know, it was great to read about my dad. It was I would correspond with them and find out how their parents met in World War II and stuff like that. And, you, and it's a really great feeling. You get an email like that, it makes your day because you've commemorated someone, you've, you've honored someone, and you've filled a little some small space in history that, that needed to be filled. You've done it Thank with, with this lot. book. I think that this book is for everyone. It's, it's a wonderful book. Get this book. It's just when you read it, you will feel better afterwards. You will be inspired. It's wonderful to know that there are people who can be heroes. It doesn't matter. Perhaps along the way you make some mistakes, but boy, oh boy, when, when your time comes to become a hero, you can really do it. And Jerome, I think this book is wonderful. Make sure that as soon as you get a movie deal, you let me know and that you're back on Joy on Paper so we can talk about it, okay? Okay, thank you. Jerome Preisler, you are an amazing author, and it's been an honor to talk to you today. It's always a pleasure to be here, and our first conversation of the new year. I, I'm sure there'll be another book coming out soon, so you can come back again. I just finished one today. Okay, well, congratulations, and Happy New Year. What a way to start the new year with a new book. As soon as you have a pub date, you let me know, okay? Radio. Okay. Bye-bye now, Jerome. Bye-bye now. Thanks for joining me. To find out more about Patsy Talks or my radio program, Joy on Paper, visit my website, www.radio-joyonpaper.com or follow me on Facebook at Radio Joy on Paper. If you have a question, 
or a suggestion, send me an email at patsy.podcast at gmail.com.